Book four, chapter fifteen of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book four, chapter fifteen, which leaves affairs in general in a scarcely more satisfactory position than the former one. Ferdinand felt much calmer in his mind after his conversation with his cousin. Her affectionate attention to him now, instead of filling him as it did before with remorse, was really a source of consolation, if that be not too strong a phrase to describe the state of one so thoroughly wretched as Captain Armine, for his terrible illness and impending death had not the slightest degree allayed or affected his profound passion for Henrietta Temple. Her image unceasingly engaged his thoughts, he still clung to the wild idea that she might yet be his, but his health improved so slowly that there was faint hope of speedily taking any steps to induce her to result. All his enquiries after her, and Glastonbury, at his suggestion, had not been idle, were quite fruitless. He made no doubt that she had quitted England. What might it happen, far away from him, and believing herself betrayed and deserted? Often, when he brooded over these terrible contingencies, he regretted his recovery. Yet his family, thanks to the considerate conduct of his admirable cousin, were still contented and happy. His slow convalescence was now the only source of anxiety. They regretted the unfavourable season of the year. They looked forward with hope to the genial influence of the coming spring. There was to cure all their cares, and yet they might well suspect when they watched his ever-pensive and often suffering countenance, that there were deeper causes than physical debility and bodily pain to account for that moody and woebegone expression. Alas, how changed from that Ferdinand Armine, so full of hope and courage and youth and beauty, that had burst all the enraptured vision of his return from Malta! Where was the gaiety, now that made all eyes sparkle, that vivacious spirit, that kindled energy in every bosom? How miserable to see him crawling about with a wretched stick, with his thin, pale face and torturing limbs, and scarcely any other pursuit than to creep about the pleasance, where, when day was fair, his servant would place a camstrel opposite the sedentary, where he had first beheld Henrietta Temple, and there he would sit, until the unkind winter breeze would make him shiver, gazing on vacancy, yet people to his mind's eye with beautiful and fearful apparitions. And it is love, it is the most delightful of human passions, that can bring about such misery. Where will its true cause never run smooth? It's just spell over our hearts that its finest emotion should lead only to despair. When Ferdinand Amin, in his reveries, dwelt upon the past, when he recalled the hour that had first seen her, her first glance, the first sound of her voice, his visit to the sea, uh, all passionate scenes to which it led, those sweet wanderings through enchanted bowers, those bright mornings so full of expectation that was never bog, those soft eyes so redolent of tenderness that could never cease. When from the bright and glowing, and gentle scenes his memory conjured up, and all the transport and the thrill that surrounded him like an atmosphere of love, he turned to his shattered and broken heart itself, the rigid heaven above, and what seemed to his perhaps and was in a grateful spirit. 
the mechanical sympathy and commonplace affection of his companions, it was as if he had wakened from some too vivid and too glorious dream. Or if he's yet fallen from some brighter and more favoured planet upon our cold, dull earth. And yet it would seem the roof of our mean place protected a family that might yield to few in the beauty and engaging qualities of its inmates, their happy accomplishments, their kind and cordial hearts, and all were devoted to him. It was on him alone the noble spirit of his father dwelt still with pride and joy. It was to soothe and gratify him that his charming mother exerted all her graceful care and all her engaging gifts. It was for him and his sake the generous half his cousin had submitted to mortification without a murmur, or indulge her unhappiness only in solitude. And it was for him that Glastonbury exercised a devotion that might alone induce a man to think with complacency both of his species and himself. But the heart, the heart, the jealous and despotic heart, it rejects all substitutes, it spurns all compromise, and it will have its purpose, or it will break. End of chapter 15 Recording by Pilgonzales in Cavita, Philippines.